We good? Okay, good. He said now. Okay, Matthew chapter 27. And um, I can wear my glasses. Last night I spoke at the connection and I had to feel embarrassed by doing this. They're like, who is this old guy? But I got encouraged because I went to lunch with Pastor Mike and he couldn't read the check. <laughs> He's like, is that a four or an eight? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> the printer was out of ink. Is that what they're saying these days? That's what I'm going to do. Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to start in verse 11. And I want you to take notice of this. You know the context if you think about it. This is Jesus. He's already been arrested. He's already you know, gone through a lot of the trial, and now they're going to bring him before Pilate, who was the Roman governor over that, over that area. Okay. Now, I just want to give you the context of this. This is a Roman governor in a trial of a man. This is what a Roman governor did. He did this all the time. He's not new to this. He's not green to this. As a matter of fact, he was given a very tough assignment when he was assigned to this area. Okay. This is a guy who has seen a lot of men on trial. He's executed tens of thousands. He's heard every excuse man has ever given. It's kind of like the state trooper that knows what all the drunk guys always say, okay? He's heard it all. He's seen it all. Verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? That was the accusation. And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests. That's Jesus being accused by the chief priests and elders. He made no answer. Okay, here's the way this kind of trial worked. If you were the accused, you would stand before the governor. Let's say I'm the governor. If you're Jesus, you're standing here. And then your accusers, very intimidating, would stand to your left and right, and they would hurl their accusations. Then they would give an accusation. Like, let's say Mike's giving an accusation, and you're Jesus. Congratulations, I get to be the governor. He would hurl the accusation. When he was done, I would look at you, and you would answer that accusation. That's how it worked. You were there to refute what was going on. Okay, you didn't have lawyers. You didn't have, you know, all the politics going on. This is Rome. Uh, and, and if the governor was happy with what you said, he could dismiss the charges. If he wasn't, he could execute you. That's the way it worked, cut and dry. Okay, but look at the verse 12 again. It says, and while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. He's not saying anything. So the accusation is coming left and right. And as the accusations are coming, he's not speaking. He's standing there. Okay? Never, ever seen this before. Pilate's been around. He's never seen this before. Then Pilate said to him, look at this. Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? In other words, are, are you, what, what are you doing? You don't know, are you aware of the system? And he did not answer him with regard, look at this, to even a single charge, and here's the statement, so that the governor was quite amazed. Here we have a secular leader. This would be the equivalent to the governor of Texas, the governor of Arkansas, someone in an incredibly high, powerful position, only with no political constraints. They could basically do what they want within their realm of authority. And he's saying... I am marveling over what I'm seeing in this man. Now, I want to point something out to you that's obvious but often missed. Jesus is not healing the sick. Jesus is not raising the dead. He's not prophesying. He's not doing anything that we would consider supernatural. And yet, someone that's completely worldly, completely secular, is marveling at him. Do you know what it would do 
if the men of God in America lived a life that caused the natural man to marvel when they looked at him. That's what's happening right here. So what exactly is Jesus doing? Let me tell you what he's doing. Jesus is demonstrating his character. He is demonstrating his character. He's demonstrating who he is, what he's made of, and we'll see how he got that. But I want you to hear this. Character, strength of character, which, by the way, the, the De- Webster's De- defines it as moral or ethical strength. But really, the definition of character is who you really are when no one's looking. That's your real character. I'm not saying that to make you go, oh, because we all have those things God's still working on. But that is the essence of your character. Okay? Jesus demonstrating his character, the world is marveling. Jesus is our example. We want to do the same thing, okay? If that is who you really are when no one's looking, then let me tell you this. It behooves us as men of God to spend more time concerned about character than gifting. Because let me tell you, gifting is easy. You were born with giftings and you have those giftings to today. And when the Holy Spirit fills a believer, he gives them giftings, free, free giftings. He he calls the guys that got up and gave the prophetic message. They didn't labor or work for that. That's why they can't brag about it. Well, I've been reading a lot of prophetic stuff. No, that won't make you prophetic. That's a gift. God gave me a gift to speak. That's a gift. Do you put some investment? Yeah, but the gift is, it's it's inside of you. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's either going to do it or he isn't. So you can't take credit for it. Gifting is easy. Character is hard. But listen, that doesn't mean it's impossible. And we tend to give up on it. And oftentimes what we've seen through the years are men who lean on their gifting, but their character is below their gifting, and their gifting topples them over. Here's what we need. We need men that grow in both. Now, there's been denominations that only want character with no gifting. Well, you're going to have a lot of good, strong people, but they aren't going to be accomplishing the supernatural. We need both. But I'm telling you what we're weak in. We're weak in character. So let me, let me tell you the title of the message. The title of the message is The Power of Pre-Made Decisions. The Power of Pre-Made Decisions. And we'll go into what that is, but I want to make this statement to you, and this is going to seem really blanket, but it's absolutely true. And when we're done, I think you'll get it. Your character is the sum total of all your pre-made decisions or lack thereof. I'll say it again. Your character here tonight, right now, is the sum, and you may think, well, I don't know if I have any pre-made decisions. You do. Your character is the sum total of all of your pre-made decisions or lack thereof. Where you lack character, you lack a pre-made decision. That's, That's the bottom line. You say, well, so is that what Jesus was doing? Jesus was manifesting character based upon a pre-made decision. Let me show it to you. This is Matthew chapter 26. You go back into the garden and start in verse 36. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took uh, with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, fell on his face and prayed. Now watch the prayer. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Okay, now let me just ask a question. What cup? 
It was, yes, it was the cross, but it was also all the shame. Do you remember? He endured the cross, despising the shame. It wasn't just the crucifixion. That is the embodiment, not just of the sacrifice, but of the shame that went with it. The ultimate was the separation from the Father that he endured for you as you and as me. See, But the shame was part of it. And he is looking at it and he is saying this. Listen, think about what he's saying. I, in my will, do not want this. So I thought he loved us so much. He, he did. He does. But who wants to be killed, shamed, spit on innocently, right? And separated from their father. Nobody does. Nobody would want that. Jesus would have been a sadistic man if he would have been going, come on, nail me. Oh, hit me again. That's all you got? You call that bloody? I've seen bigger crowns of thorns in the grocery store. You know, I, that's not Jesus. Jesus was not after that. And don't you buy into a discipleship that tells you you're going to like pain. No, you're not going to like pain. What you need to do is fall in love with the will of God, even if it does cost you something. But this is the son of God having to pray this. And here's what I'm telling you. He is at the place where he needs, needs to have a pre-made decision of how he will act. When they come to arrest him, when they drag him before his accusers, when he's being accused, when Pilate's asking him these questions, when he's being scourged, as he's walking up Calvary, as they're nailing him, and as he's forgiving. He is deciding to do those things when, listen to me, before he's in the heat of the moment. Here's what a pre-made decision is. It's when you determine how you'll behave beforehand. That's what a pre-made decision is. You ever notice that Madison Avenue, when they advertise and they want you to buy something, they want you to do it when? Later, after you've prayed over it? No. Now. Call now. Call now. Call in the next 10 seconds, you'll get Ginsu knives. I don't even know what a Ginsu knife is. Please, Father, let it, if it's possible, let the cup pass, 39 again. Yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. He yields, his, he yields his will. And he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping. Those are the best friends you need, right? And said to Peter, so uh, you men could not watch with me for one hour. Keep watching, keep praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it. Remember on the cross, he finally said what? I thirst. When God's will became his. Thy will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, finally, it says, and he left them again and went away and prayed a third time saying the thing once more. What did he pray? The exact same thing. Three times Jesus went to the father, just like Paul did. Remember Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh and I went three times. I asked the Lord and what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient. In other words, God, this is not what I'm wanting to do, but I want you to tell me how do you want me to behave in this circumstance? Not when I'm in the circumstance, but before it. I want to know how I'm going to act before I'm in the heat, of the heat of the moment. That is the sum total right now of your character. That's it. And you have pre-made decisions. And I have pre-made decisions. You really do. And you lack some and I lack some. And some of our pre-made decisions, guess what? They're the wrong decision. We already know what we'll do given a certain circumstance. And God, in his mercy, often has to cover those things. Let me give you a perfect example of this. And I love sharing this because it opens up all kinds of Pandora's box for you to think all kinds of weird things about me. 
But I have no shame in giving this testimony. When I travel, wherever I am put in a hotel, I find out if that hotel sells uh, pornographic movies. I find out. I love coming here. They don't, (laughs) just for your information. The hotel they put me in, they don't have that. So I don't have to do what I do if I go into a hotel that sells pornography, because this is what I do. I'm checking in, and I have a pre-made decision, and it's this. Listen, I know you guys sell adult films. I want them disabled in my room. And I mean, now listen, I decided to do this. I'll tell you the story how. I decided to do this in the late 80s. And I tell them that. And listen, sometimes it's a little 18-year-old girl. And maybe there's a person standing beside me. I know what they're thinking, pervert. No, the pervert's the one that doesn't turn them off. But what, what they're thinking is, so you have to have that to stay pure. Let me tell you, let me tell you this. L- listen to me. You can sit there right now and you can think in your head, he's got a problem with pornography. You can think that all you want to. Can I tell you this? Don't have a problem with pornography because I block the movies. So are you afraid that you're weak in that area? Yes. You okay? Can you still receive? Oh, no, the anointing's gone. He's, he's a human. We need someone uh, uh, uber-human to minister the word in here. Guess what? Jesus delegated it to losers like us. It was 1986 when a hero of mine fell, and if I named him, you'd know it. He did it twice. He was a popular evangelist. I watched him on TV. I loved him. I heroized him, if that's a word. I I thought he was the best, and he fell. And he fell, listen to me, he fell in a hotel room, and he fell after being trapped in porn in a hotel room. And at that point in my life, I, 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 I just to be honest with what I did, I went out, got a 12-pack, turned it all upside down. I did. I, I, I just, because I, I, I said this, I, I can't do it. I don't even have a dad. I don't even know how to act as a man of God. If this is the greatest man of God on TV and he can't, how can I? And in, the, and in, in those uh, weeks, they were like three really dark weeks, this is where this came from. And the Lord said, you can do this. See, here's what a pre-made decision does. It keeps you from dangling right near the edge of how far can I go and still stay safe. And it insulates you and puts you in a place. The scripture says, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. So rather than proving how spiritual I am by dancing on the edge of this precipice, I stay over here. See, that's a pre-made decision. And that forms the character of, of who I am when I travel. That's one extreme circumstance and one extreme decision. And I share it because I want you to see there, there is a commitment there. And, and it, it's valuable to me. It's valuable to my marriage. It's valuable to my ministry that I don't get in that. And it's valuable to you. It really, really is. Okay, so let's cover it. How do you make a pre-made decision? There are seven steps. Don't worry. You're like, oh, seven points. Be afraid of a no-point message, not a seven-point message, Okay. <laughs> How do you make a a pre-made decision? Every point is very important. Here they are. Here's number one. Now keep in mind, I'm just telling you, I'm probably younger than most of you, maybe older than some of you, that maybe I don't look that way. I'm older than Mike. No, I'm not older than Mike. 
Although we look the same age, don't we? He looks, still looks. Listen to me. It, it, can, you, can you hear this? If God gave me this and Jesus did it, then you can hear it from a father. Okay? That's how I want you to hear it. If you had a great dad and he didn't show you some of the benefits of these things, hear it as from a father. I'm not trying to put myself in that position. I'm not trying to do that at all. What I'm trying to say is open your heart to this. Here's the number one thing you do. This is number one. You pray. <laughs> if you're taking notes, you should write it down because it, it, it's important. You're like, oh, well, revolution. Oh, what revelation. I came to church. They told me to pray. Never would have expected that, pastor. That's truly remarkable. Where did you get the revelation? I mean, that's a powerful, powerful thing. You know what I ask people all the time? How is your prayer life? I never, ever hear anyone say, I pray way too much. I pray all the time, and yeah, it's really, I need to cut back. I always hear, I could pray more. Pray. Let me show you why, though. Let me tell you. I want you to get the real clear picture of why you pray, okay? Um, let me get a drink here real quick. Why, why pray? Okay, let me read you this. This is Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Think about that. Commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. What does commit mean? The word commit means to place under the care, guidance, protection, discipline, and authority of another. Have you ever heard of someone who was committed to an institution? Come on. There's one in every family. If you go, there's not one in my, then they're looking at you. They're considering you. What, what do you do when someone's committed? You take them and you put them under the care, the authority, the discipline, the protection, the provision of another when you pray, this is what prayer is. It's going, Father, I commit my work, this decision to you. I put it underneath your care. And when you do that, what is the Bible promise? This is awesome. It says your thoughts will be established. In other words, when you commit to God the thing you're dealing with, God will help you think right. That's an amazing promise. I've seen this through the years where I'm in an impasse. God, I don't know what to do. Oh, my, I haven't prayed. God, I'm going to give you that. I commit this to you. You are now Lord of it. It's under your care protection. You can change it. You can augment it. You can add to it, take away. You can throw it in the, in the dustpan if you want to, whatever you want, God. And, and then so clearly your thoughts just come in line. You're like, oh, why couldn't I think of that? Because you need God. Your thoughts will be established. He won't just show you how to fix something. He'll show you how to think about it. It's very important. So you take that and you present it to him and he then has the authority over it. Now you're thinking clearly. Okay, so let's say there's an area in, in your life and you say, my character needs forming up in this area. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to now, I want to I know what is a pre-made decision that will form my character here. God, I commit this to you. I'm going to give this to you. And would you help my thoughts? Would you give me the right thoughts? He will. He'll do it. It's the promise in the scripture. That's number one, pray. Here's number two, weigh the fruit. Weigh the fruit. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is obsessed with fruit. He's like obsessed with it. He says, everybody that doesn't bear fruit, into the fire. By the way, all believers bear some fruit. They will. You're going to bear some fruit. So I don't see very much. He didn't say you bear much fruit. He said you'll bear some fruit. And everybody who does bear fruit, guess what? He prunes so you'll bear what? More fruit. 
And then when you bear more fruit, what will he do? He'll prune you again so you bear more fruit. He's obsessed. But he has a God complex, so he feels like he can do what he wants. <laughs> He's God. He can prune. He can choose. He wants fruit. He wants life. And extra seed, not just for you, but for others. And what you've got to do, if you're going to make a pre-made decision, once you've prayed and you're considering a pre-made decision, listen, you've got to weigh the fruit. Why? Because seeing the end of it will help you make the decision. Let me give you an example. If I weigh the fruit of blocking pornographic films in a hotel room, here's, here's the fruit I see. I see that I won't lose my marriage because I get trapped in lust and end up in some affair because that's the, that's the cycle. I see that my kids won't lose their dad to, to, some, to becoming some guy who had to run off and fulfill the lust of the flesh because I got on a train that took me out of control. I see that I don't have to give away the anointing of my ministry in, into the wind because I was not godly and didn't want to just put constraints upon my flesh because I know that in me dwells what? No good thing. See, that's the fruit, and that's what motivated me to make that decision. You've got to weigh the fruit. When you weigh the fruit, God will give you wisdom. You say, well, what is wisdom? I know wisdom is an easy word to kick around. Wisdom is the ability to see the end from the beginning. Wisdom is the ability to see further than others. If you think about it, you know how a child, as they get older, they get, they get wiser, hopefully. So you have a, let's say you have a five-year-old, they're not very wise because they'll run out in front of a car. But when they get older, they won't run out in front of a car. Why? Because they see the end of the matter. When God gives you wisdom, he, he lifts you up to see from his perspective. If I were to stand up on the platform, when I come up here, I can now see from a higher vantage point. I can see further down the road. You ask for wisdom, God gives you an vantage point so you can see what's coming. You've got to do this. You've got to say, God, I need wisdom. Let me weigh the fruit of this. Listen, it also is the incentive for whatever it is you're going to make the decision for. You weigh out the fruit. This is Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. You're going to know if the tree, the tree in this case being the decision, if it's a good decision based upon the fruit that the Lord shows you. You weigh the fruit. That's number two. Getting that? Here's number three. Number three, you count the cost. Any pre-made decision is going to have a cost. When you, when you say, you know what, this year, I'm not going to file an extension. I'm going to pay my taxes by the original deadline. <laughs> that might be prophetic. No, I don't have a word for that. You say, I'm going to file my taxes, I'm going to pay them, and you make a pre-made decision. You go through this. Listen, you have to count the cost of that decision. What's the cost? Well, if you owe, you're going to have to write a check sooner than later. You're going to have to take the time and the expense. If you hire a, a CPA or doing it yourself, you're going to allot those hours to do your taxes. There is an expense. Why is it so important to count the cost? Here, because then when you get down the road and the cost hits you, it doesn't shock you out of your decision. I see this all the time. Count the cost. Jesus in Luke 14, 27, and whoever does not bear his cross, come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, 
This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king is going out to war against another king does not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. It's very simple. It's very practical. I'm considering this decision. I've prayed. I've committed it to God. I'm asking God, show me the fruit. Now, show me the cost. I want to consider the cost. I want to know how hard is this going to hurt. <laughs> Don't you want to consider the cost when you go buy a new vehicle? they'll advertise one thing, but when you get it all tacked on, you tack on TTL and insurance. And you ever notice the car commercial never shows you right in the monthly payment? It's always done and done and done and done and done and you're driving and then they never show you going, oh man, I just. They don't want you to count the cost because they don't love truth. God loves truth and he loves to bless you. Now, he's not trying to get from you, he's trying to bless you. And so he wants you to count the cost. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, my wife and I, um, early on, we had just gotten married on our honeymoon. Uh, she got pregnant. We had a two-week honeymoon. She got pregnant. And we just figured, hey, okay, well, let's go then. <laughs> if they're going to happen now, let's do it. Let's, and we had all four really close together. So we did not have a lot of dinero. I was running a landscape company and doing uh, ministry. I was running a landscape company to support ministry. <laughs> And um, had a lot going on, but did not have a lot of dollars. But I still wanted to be able to date my wife. And so I would save a little bit of money each week, just tuck it aside so that maybe every two or three months I could take her away for a night or a weekend. We'd go someplace nice. And we always liked to go to these nice hotels. We liked the nice hotels, um, like the Adolphus in, in Dallas, real expensive, real swanky. You just show up and, you know, they wait on you and all that. We order room service and and so I would save up enough money, but I had to, listen, I had to budget it. Because if you go into that circumstance without a budget, it's like going to Disney World, man. You better mortgage your home. I'll tell you, man, that mouse gets more money. Anyway. First time we did it, I knew what was coming. I'd been a bellman in college. I knew exactly what the hotel's game was. And I showed up into the hotel room. It was the first one we ever did. We showed up, and the bellman checks you in, and they drop your bags, and they show you the room. They show you the amenities. It's really a big wait for them, you to pull out your money and tip them. <laughs> True. And I listened to his spiel, and before I handed the money, I said, um, that right there? And I pointed to this little refrigerator, real innocent-looking little refrigerator sitting there. It's called the mini bar. They ought to call it the cash thief because the purpose of the mini bar is to gouge you out of $5 Snicker bars and $8 Cokes. I'm not kidding. And here's what they're wanting, that you're there watching a movie in your room that night, you're hanging out, and you just go, wouldn't it be great to have a snack? And see, during normal operating hours when your brain's on, those prices are ridiculous, but it you know, 11.30 at night and you have the munchies and you're sitting there with your wife, you're like, yeah, I have 20 bucks for a snack. That's not bad. It's bad. So this is what I told him. See that? I want, there's a, and there's a lock on it. I want to lock that mini bar. I'd already decided it. He goes like this, sir, uh, you don't understand. 
that you will not be charged anything unless you take it out of the mini bar and eat it. I said, you do not understand. Lock the mini bar. Because I, I didn't have any money, man. I mean, I couldn't afford anything else. So he takes his key, rolls his eyes, which cut his tip in half. No, he didn't. I was gracious. And he, he locks the mini bar. All right, listen to me. That night, we are sitting in our huge, comfy bed, and we're watching a movie because it's cheaper to watch the movie in the room. And we wanted to just kind of hang out. You know the whole scenario. We won't get there. There's kids here. But we're having a good time. And watching the movie, and it's probably, uh, it's probably 1130 at night. And you know what went through my head? <laughs> it's Snickers. I was like, I want some almonds. Oh, yeah, the almonds are like 10 bucks. Like golden almonds, man. And I'm like, oh, I want a snack. Oh, I want a, don't you want a snack? And, and I literally thought this. Dang it, I locked the mini bar. Until tomorrow morning when I'm checking out and there wasn't, I guarantee you guys, me, my wife, movie, it would have been 30 bucks, which was a lot of money. I'm signing the bill and there's no mini bar charge. And I'm so happy that I counted the cost. What was the cost that I would be like, dang, I don't get a snack. But see, I weighed the fruit. All right? That's number three. Here's number four. Very simple. Number four is get wise counsel. Get wise counsel. Now, this is hard for men. I understand. It's hard for men. We like to feel self-made. We like to feel like we're the big deal. We like to feel like we don't need anybody. Listen, if the, the lower you humble yourself in the body of Christ, the higher he'll exalt you. If you want to be raised up, bow down. If you want to be used of God, get low. The lower you go, the higher he'll put you. That's the way it works, always. You have to have people, bless you, that you can go to and you can say, listen, and I'm talking about, you know, peers and pastors and saying this, listen, I'm considering this decision. Will you work with me? Will you help me? And you present it and you get wise counsel. Now, let me read you this verse. This is Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. It says, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So the more people you have speaking into your life in an area, the safer you are. Now, when I say get wise counsel, I, I, I always think our problem is not that we don't understand Greek or Hebrew. It's that we don't understand English. I want to talk about get wise counsel here for just a moment. I'm going to talk about the three words in order. The first word is get. Okay. Earlier at dinner, if you were to say, I am going to get more chicken. Let me ask you a question. Does that mean you're now going to sit back and go, Lord, if it be thy will for me to have more chicken, I just, I'm just believing you that you will magically cause some chicken to appear on my plate. No, you are saying, I am going to go get it. That involves initiative. That involves effort. That involves cutting around the tables and getting past so-and-so and getting over here and picking up a plate. And You have to exert yourself. You have to give it effort. You have to go get wise counsel. You can't just hope it drops on you. Well, if the stars align and the pastor asks me the right prophetic question, then I'll run it by him. No, go get it. Go grab somebody. Hey, let me run this by you. What do you think? 
Okay, that's the first thing. Get, you go get it. Here's the second thing, wise. <laughs> wise. I cannot overstate this. How do you know if it's wise counsel? Because the person you're asking about it about is successful in that area. All right? You, you don't ask the guy who's on his 10th marriage, how do I please my wife? You don't, you, you don't do that. If someone has gone bankrupt five times, you don't go ask them, should I tithe? I'm considering, what, what's your financial counsel? No, go get wisdom from those who, here's what the Bible says, wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, wisdom bears the right fruit. You want the man with a testimony, not the one with an argument. Because the man with a testimony is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. That's worth writing down. Okay, here's the third word, get wise, and here's the third, counsel. Not advice, counsel. What is counsel? The Bible says the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. You want to know through your heart and through your life, tell me what you believe the word of God and the will of God says about this. That's getting wise counsel. Go after it, find someone who lives in it, in the blessing of it, and make sure it lines up with the word of God. That's what you're doing. You're getting wise counsel. You're letting more people speak into it. You're running this by. I ran that decision by my pastor. I said, do you think it'd be good to do this? His response was, how could it be bad? And I took that as, okay, that looks good. I can guarantee you. I, now, now, let's just be honest. I, now, I did ask my wife about the mini bar, so I guess I did get wise counsel. It's not like I had to call, Pastor Mike, there's this mini bar question I've got. Call me back. No. Some may be a little more trivial, but I had gotten wise counsel related to the strenuousness of my budget. That makes sense? And my wife certainly was in agreement because you don't want the woman locked out of the mini bar if she's not down with it. So, all right. <laughs> Amen. Happy wife, happy life. I spent a lot of time around Jimmy Evans. Let me tell you what. Now, okay, number five. Number five, make the decision. You say, well, what is that? What do you mean? Do you have a text to prove that? I sure do. I have a text to prove this point that is not in the Bible. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me say it this way. Jesus did not pray a fourth time. He made the decision. You ever met the guy that won't make the decision? It's like paint or get off the ladder, right? March, get out of the parade, whatever, you know? Do, do it. If you've gone through the other steps, you've weighed the fruit, the council says yes, do it. Make the decision. Make your decision. And listen, when you make it, make the decision public to your council. I now do this, you say. I want you to know you spoke into this and I'm now doing this. By the way, guys, this is the men of God being the church of God interconnected. People say, well, I want accountability partner. Well, this is the kind of stuff you want accountability for. Most people just think it in terms of I want accountability. So every time that I sin, I can call them up and tell them and they'll mark it. And the problem with an accountant is all they do is mark down. I don't need an accountant. I need someone who will speak into me. Not just count the beans. Okay. You have 25 sins. What else do you need to know? No, help me. 
That's what this is. When someone can come to you and go, hey, I remember that decision that you made. Are you sticking to it? Yep, I've got it. Thank you for asking. Thank you for being a faithful friend. Appreciate that. See, you make the decision. If you don't make the decision, you don't make it final, you can dilly-dally around with that thing forever and you can end up really crossing lines you don't want to cross. And why wait and, and not build your character? Why not do it now? Do you realize tonight you can do these steps? Within the context of this, even this weekend, you, there may be some things the Holy Spirit's just bringing to your mind. You're going, you know what? I need to do that. I need to pray. I need to weigh the fruit, count the cost. I'm going to get some wise count. You know what? This, I've already done all that. You know what? This is obvious. I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to tell three people about it. I want you to know I'm making this decision. Would you ask me about this in a month? The only person that doesn't want you to do that is the devil and your pride. That's two people, actually. See, I'm not a math major. All right. <laughs> That's number five. You get that? Make it. Here's number six. Memorize the scripture. And I know what that sounds like. It's like, ooh, that's, that's, what is, that's kind of an e-break. What do you mean, memorize the scripture? Can I tell you this? That Jesus knew every verse related to what he was going to walk through as he went to the cross. He knew every verse. He memorized every verse. He knew it. And people could say, well, yeah, he wrote the Bible. But listen to this. He laid down omniscience. And he became a man. He emptied himself. He had to learn like we do. And when he was looking at what he was going to go through, I guarantee you the same way he fought the devil in the wilderness, when the, when the enemy found another opportunity there in the garden, he had the scriptures right on hand. I'm going to have these things ready. In other words, if the, if the decision is of God, he'll give you a text to tie to it. I've already told you my text. For blocking those movies, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. That is my verse. So when I'm walking up there and I know somebody's going to hear it and this person's going to look at me weird, and I, I mean, it is a humbling, embarrassing even thing. But the decision must stand. That's my, that's my verse. I'm holding that in my mind. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Father, if I'm getting prideful right now, Father, I'm thinking I can just do this. What if I just, no, no, no. And the verse is what drives a rod of iron down your back. And you step up and you manna got it. Because you got the verse in you. I'll give you an example. I'm going to read you this verse and you're going to go, boy, that is obscure. And it will be to you, but I'll explain it. This is John 12, 24. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This is a verse that God gave me when I made a pre-made decision one time. And it was the pre-made decision to move and to obey him uh, in going to Amarillo. He was calling me out of the Metroplex, and he asked me to, he, I literally heard. I was in Cabo San Lucas on a beach at 1.30 in the morning. He spoke to me, and he said, will you go for me to Amarillo? I said, I'm going to need some help with that. Because when I make a phone, because they were offering me a job, I'd already laughed at it, put my feet on the desk, and told them no. And now I'm going to be calling back going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to need a verse. And by the way, you have to speak to Kelly too. So I walk in, I wake her up. I'm like, honey, I feel like the Lord just said, Go for me to Amarillo. She goes, just like this, she goes, all right. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> Woman of God. He gave me that verse, 
so that when I found my life going into the ground to die, I could hold on to that verse. And God took me to Amarillo to kill me. And he did. He killed me. I won't give you the whole testimony, but he killed me. And his whole purpose was to bring me there, put me to death, kill some things so that he could bear more fruit. And I can't tell you through the blackest, darkest, grimmest year of my life, this was my meditation. God, I'm dying and you know it, but you promised that because of this, it'll bear forth fruit. And you hold on to that. You hold on. Memorize the verses. Please do it. Even if it's just one, it is what will drive that rod of iron down your back. Okay, that's number six. And finally, here's number seven. Number seven, be closed-minded. Be closed-minded. I can't tell you. I could go on a 20-minute rant on the emasculation of the American male right now. I'll spare you the details of that. But listen, gentlemen, we are, we are, we are called to be men of God, not men of Oprah. We're not, can I just be honest with you? There is nothing in this book about you getting in touch with your feminine side. Do you know, if I want to get in touch with my feminine side, you know what I do? I get in touch with Kelly because she's my feminine side. And part of the emasculation of the male, see, the male is, represents the father. And we are the initiators. And we are the stabilizers. We are the thermostats of the temperatures in our home. And we've got to be the ones that say, when we do this, it will stand. The decision's here. I now close my mind to everything else. You Christians are so closed-minded. Yes, I'm completely closed-minded. I will have no other God. No other book can bind my conscience. I'm not going to marry another woman. I'm not going to abandon my kids. I'm not going to you know, trade in sound doctrine so I can feel good. I'm not, I've made pre-made decisions and my mind is closed. And if you think that makes me hard, it does against the things that would want to kill me. Why would I change that? There has to be something in you that stubbornly, finally, when you've done it, you shut the door and it stays that way. And you close your mind. Amen. Oh, you know, the latest statistics show that blah, 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 blah allows, you know, that, that uh, men who use mini bars live 10 minutes longer than those who don't. Here are the statistical proofs. Well, I guess I die 10 minutes early because I've closed my mind to the mini bar, figuratively. Yeah, here's the thing. You, your gifts, your callings, those were established from the foundation of the world. Um, but the work of the Holy Spirit is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ so that you will be an outward living expression. Listen, not just of his giftings through the power of the Holy Spirit, but of his character, of his love, of his stability, of his consistency, of his, uh, the, the model that he was. We are to be that. First Peter, First Peter 5, starting 1, it says, you know, I, the elder, exhort you other elders who are among them to, to, what does it say? Three things, three main things. Number one, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof and being an example. See, we're to be examples for people to follow. I'll tell you, that's a gospel that preaches loud in the workplace, preaches loud to our government, uh, preaches loud to the public. When people can look and just go, yeah, there are these supernatural elements, but I'll tell you what, there is a character in those men. And this is how God gives it. It's the sum total of the pre-made decisions that you either make or you don't. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to...
give you an opportunity for a moment just to apply this right where you are. And I want you to ask a simple question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I believe the Lord will bring something up in your heart. It could be two things, but it's probably just one thing. And like a loving father, he's looking at you and he's saying, let, son, let, let's deal with this one right now. Just don't worry about all the others. You're his boy. Don't worry. You're his boy. He loves you. He says, son, I want to deal with this one right now. And you'll know it's him because it's very specific. It's not condemnation. It's not general or vague. He wants to deal with one thing right now. What is it? And, and, and when you hear that, then you can say, okay, God, I'm in. I want my character to grow. And then you begin the steps. You begin to pray, God, I'm going to commit this to you. I ask that you establish my thoughts. God, I want to weigh the fruit out. Will you show me the end? God, I'm going to start in the process of counting the cost. And Lord, show me who wise counsel is. You start down these steps. And what you're going to find is if you'll walk that out to fruition, close your mind. God will nail shut any issue or you'll make a final pre-made decision. And your character can grow this weekend. Father, I want to thank you that your word is life, Lord. And you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You've not left any out. I thank you the way that you love us as men. I thank you that you're the perfect father. You're our Abba. You're our daddy. And Lord, you love us with a love that we can't even express. Lord, I thank you for the powerful truth that your example is and that your word uh, backs up completely. And I pray for us as men, Lord, that we would grow in our character. That our wives and our children would be able to look at us someday and say, there is a man of God. That is a rock of the faith. That is someone who God could build a tremendous work on the shoulders of because he leaned on Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I break that off of every man here in Jesus' name. I bind the enemy from lying about this message. But Holy Spirit, I ask you, convict us. Discipline us as sons and lead us in a path of righteousness. We want to be like you. Father, I pray tonight for every man as he goes to sleep. I pray these things would be ministering to him. And Holy Spirit, you take these words and you give memory of them. I pray the impact would be eternal significant, and I pray it would be obvious. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It's been an honor. Thank you.